everything we do, we do for the greater good of people, of planet, and of course, our greens. It's a lifestyle. It's not a project. If you tackle it as a project, you lose all sense of authenticity. This has got to be something that you live every day. A lot of times doing what's right does come at a cost, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, there's a way where profit and purpose are built and grow together. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of social impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Brian Cook. Brian is the president of Pete's, a company that specializes in greenhouse-grown lettuce and produce with a special focus on reducing packaging and food waste. Pete's distributes at major supermarkets, including Walmart, Kroger, Target, and more. Brian is also the chairman of the board for the Fresh Produce and Floral Council. Brian was previously the director of sales at San Miguel Produce. Welcome, Brian. It is great to have you today. Yeah, thanks, Eva. Thanks, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. So let's get started at the beginning. You have spent most of your career in the fresh produce industry. How did you become interested in this space? And who or what influenced you to get into the space? Yeah, it actually was uh, started with when I was first out of high school and went to college over at Cal State Los Angeles. I actually worked for a company on the production line doing plastic extrusions. I worked up through there and ended up as their cut in customer service. At that point, one of my customers was a company called Plastech Specialties that did sign programs for the grocery market amongst other food channels. And uh, so I took a job with them and it's through them, I actually came into contact with the Fresh Produce and Floral Council you know, so I was always allied industry uh, up until that point. And then I had a friend who I met through the industry who went out and started a company. And so I went to work with him in the sales side, uh, doing melons and potatoes and onions for a short bit before I went over to San Miguel. So it's kind of a little bit of a stepping stone from something that had one would think nothing to do with uh, produce right into produce specifically. So you were at San Miguel and is that a, a sort of a broad producer or do they have just a narrow range of products? Yeah, San Miguel Produce actually focused in dark leafy greens. So we actually grew and produced a line called Cut and Clean Greens, which, you know, made up of collard greens, mustard greens, turnip greens, kale, chard. So those kind of more dark, hardier greens. And so when you're selling some greens, I'm just curious to know, what are you actually selling? Are you sort of like, hey, I've got the best greens this month at the best price? Is it as simple as that? Or are there other dimensions of selling that kind of product or offering that kind of product that you think might be interesting for us to understand 
as we dive into the Pete story. Specifically at the at San Miguel, you know, we were selling the the health aspect of it, and you know, it was the dark leafy greens, and so you know, it was it's very important for individuals to get their dark leafy greens, and so you know, from a consumer level, that's what we were primarily pushing. At the customer level, so you know, when you think about Albertsons and the Kroger's and such, you know, they were more focused on you know making sure that was proper packaging, messaging of the sorts to consumer. You know, we were high quality, priced right. So that's kind of really what drove, you know, those two aspects um, at San Miguel. I took the job here over at Hollandia Produce, which we kind of formally kind of present ourselves as Pete's as a brand that that came into fruition as I started seeing things change in, in the whole farming space. And it was really exciting to get with a company that was focused on more sustainable ways of growing. And that's kind of what led me over here into Pete's. And when you talk about more sustainable ways of growing, is there something that is crucial for that? Is it not using pesticides or is it something else? For greenhouse growing, kind of the, the table stakes, as I like to call it, for greenhouse growing is the ability to grow more product in a smaller amount of space. And then also the water aspect of it. So our hydroponic system works on a continual water cycle. And so when you know, we're not the only water that we're losing during the growing aspect of it is to the plants themselves, you know, so that, you know, they're picking up the nutrients through the water channels and pools to, to grow. Other than that, you know, there's not a significant loss of water. In addition to it, you know, it's also kind of known as controlled environment agriculture. And, you know, that kind of speaks to what exactly it says, it's controlled environment. And so because of that, you know, the, the needs for inputs like, uh, you know, pesticides or resides are highly re reduced, if not eliminated. Could you give us an idea of the scale of the operation? Just like before Eva, it sounds like maybe you have a question to dive into that. But just to get an idea of the scale would be like, how many lettuce plants or plants do you currently have growing? How many? <laughs> yeah, so we, <laughs> we, we do quite a, a bit. We grow on 30 acres. And what that would equate to from an annual standpoint is close to 20 million heads of lettuce per year. I was curious, like on the space side of things, whether or not you ever would experiment with vertical growing. I'm looking at you, a, a picture of you with a background with a big greenhouse with lots of plants in it. But it seems to me like, you know, I've, I've seen some vertical growing. I just wonder if that's something you, you might experiment with or if you have any in information on. Yeah, no, vertical growing is also an, another great area. There's been a lot of folks doing it in, in various different capacities, whether it be inside a warehouse or in some of the old rail cars. We've felt that there's it makes it very difficult from a profitability standpoint to produce in, in that type of environment, which is one of the reasons why we've stuck through to our, our, our core business of more of this horizontal hydroponically greenhouse. I noticed you had a robot. It's on your website. What does the robot do? Oh, Robina. Yeah, she's one of our hardest workers. You know, a lot of uh, greenhouse growing is is set in automation. And so uh, Robina is our, our planter. So we have 72 in cells that get moved towards her and she grabs the little seedlings and plants them into our channels, which then automatically gets put into the different houses where they need to go. Incredible. One of the other key tenants of the company is reducing food waste. 
I know that you have innovated around your packaging. How do you think about that? I normally see the kind of butter lettuce product come in a, in a plastic container. What are ways to continue to innovate around the packaging for fruits and vegetables? Thank you for that question. You know, we have three pillars that we really think about when we're you know tackling this market: uh, food waste, food safety, and then the environment. So with, within those three pillars, you know, we're looking at what makes the most sense. When you look at all of it holistically, we want to live in the center of those three pillars. And so for food waste, for an example, you know, some of greenhouse growing and the benefit of it is that it's all very technical. You know, it's, it's very much manufacturing. So, you know, we're going to have a set amount of product and we're able to set that within a, you know, a certain time frame, that growing cycle and be able to come out with exactly what retailers need at that time. So that in of itself helps food waste. There are always those times where we're looking for, want to make sure we're planting a little extra so we could take advantage of, you know, some extra sales when they become available. But then we also have partnered with other folks to help. We do with some of the, the, the local senior homes, companies that work with at risk. We do a lot of stuff with the youth and that's go over and beyond your basic, you know, food share type items. But within that also there's the food safety side of it and packaging. And those have really go hand in hand while we we don't necessarily promote packaging in in our world, there's a necessary it makes it necessary. It keeps the quality. It keeps, you know, part of our program is the living lettuces. And so it keeps the roots in a nice and put together, still wet so that the roots can continue to uh, grab onto the nutrients after it's being shipped. And so that in of itself helps food waste, but packaging isn't perfect. Some of the things that we've done over the years is reduce the size of the plastic. We've reduced the thickness of the plastic. We're all constantly looking at other sustainable materials that that could come into play. But we don't want to just go out and say plastic is bad, you know, because in many cases, it's necessary to help in some of these other areas like food waste. And that, that kind of takes me into an area that we've been channeling most recently. We became partners with 1% of, for the planet. And when we launched our new packaged salad line, it was extremely important for us to do more than what we're just doing today. And what we learned was that the recycling program is broken. So the system in itself is broken. And through 1% of the planet, 1% of our gross sales for the greenhouse fresh line will go to our partner, the Recycling Partnership. And the, the folks at the Recycling Partnership work to help this uh, circularity of packaging use. So for an example, we're putting our product in these clamshells at times. And when we do that, we would love to get that plastic back and reuse it. That's our, our part of our mission is that 100% post-recycled material content, we'd love to get there, but we need to capture that. And so investing in the folks that are trying to make that happen has been a big piece of our 2020 and 2021 goals. What I find incredible about your company and the company strategy is the efficiency in the food waste. How does that work? Does Whole Foods, you know, call you up and say, we need, you know, this number of thousands of lettuce in the month of January, and then you are able to grow that for them specifically. How integrated are you with 
your customers in the, their needs? Yeah, that, uh, that's another great question. And, and it, you almost have to take a step back and understand that, you know, we've been in this business originally in the flower space since 1970. So we became an ESOP, an employee-owned uh, company in about five years ago. But prior to that, the, the previous owners, the Overgog family did a wonderful job of, you know, pivoting into different markets ultimately getting into the Sledist space in 95. So we've got a lot of history with our partners. And so what we do is we use a lot of that data that we have historically, and then we use that and we base that with our conversations with them as they're doing their forecasting. And, and so we also, we don't just depend on them to give us that information, but we also help guide them by providing you know, some of the things that we see going on, not just historically, but what's coming up from a consumer expectation level and trends. So is employee ownership common in the produce business? Yeah, it's, you know what, it, I, I wouldn't say it's common per, per se, but there has actually been more than than I realized. So once we became an ESOP, you know, we kind of looked to say, okay, well, who else are ESOP partners? And so, you know, come to learn that there are a, a couple other uh, produce companies that are ESOPs as well as some uh, retailers like uh, Winco, who has facilities up, you know, in the Western US, they are also an ESOP. So what do you think it does for you? I mean, is it, does it have a lot of practical business benefits or is it just another way to somebody owns the company? To date, I've found that it has more of kind of the social impact of it in that our employees, you know, we found as we've had conversations with them, you know, we, we do the 401k, we do all of that. But, you know, a lot of folks don't take advantage of those types of things. And so we have a lot of our team that have been here for, you know, 20, 30 years. And so we do not want you know, to them to get to retirement age and not have anything to show for it. And so this just provides another vehicle for our, our team to uh, have some skin in the game without any cost to them. I think it's a fascinating way to look at kind of the larger system of, you know, who your employees are and how to give them ownership. As owners in the company, do they have a say also in your environmental sustainability policies? And do they, do they play, do your employees play a role in that? They, they do to the extent that, you know, we, we become, we've become a very transparent of a company. So three years ago, it's been since it took the reins, Pete's, and in doing so, it was really important for me based upon my history and my experience that, you know, we kept in front of our team and, and I wanted to make sure that they knew that they were supported, that they knew that they were heard. And so they're, they remain very well aware through, through monthly meetings and our open door policy of, of having conversations. And we're always looking and asking questions, hey, where do you guys think we could go? But from the ultimate execution of it, it's, you know, it's, it's mainly driven through you know, the management team after we've decided on how we're, how we're going to go. Incredible. So let's shift over and talk a little bit about you as a leader, maybe. I think I said you were the director of sales at San Miguel, and then you came over here. At what point did you become like one of the senior leaders of the company? What was one of the harder lessons for you to learn? And 
you know, how would you describe your style now? And so in 2016, in February 2016 is when I came over to Pete's. At the time, I was hired as the vice president of sales and marketing. And it was in November of 17 that I got promoted to interim president and then on to my current uh, role as CEO today. It may sound cliche, but it's so true. And anybody who will tell you about me could, will tell you how true that is. And so I almost scraped it back. So when I first came on, you know, and I, I met with the team, the, the whole team, the whole company and sat down and said, listen, this is your company. We're going to work together to make this the best. All I'm going to ask you is that, that, you know, that we trust each other in this. It's going to be extremely inclusive. And there, there are ways that we, we made it very inclusive for, for our team. And we were going to make ourselves accessible. And it was really important to me because as a, my experience uh, with other companies, you know, there were times where, you know, I never felt I was heard and it didn't feel like it made for a great environment. And I'll even take it back as far as, you know, I have a daughter who beautiful person, great heart, and she was bullied through a, a big part of her life. And so it was extremely important for me to say, listen, this has got to be a place where we could come. We spent a lot of time here and you have to be able to come and feel comfortable. And so we spent a lot of time early on on culture, a lot of meetings, a lot of, hey, what's holding you back? What do you, what, what do you worry about? Uh, through that, incentive programs came up. Like we had certain folks who lived down south. We have two facilities that are about 40 minutes apart from each other, about 25, 30 miles. And some of our team, even though they lived closer to one, were driving up to our location further north. And we said, well, you know what, that's, that's, you know, if we don't have a spot for him here, that's not really fair. Let's help with some gas money. So let, let's do that. Let's take that off that weight off their shoulders. We implemented an outreach program. So every year we all get together and the team goes grossly at writing up, Hey, you know, I need this. I need that. I need that. And we go through that. The first time we did it, we had about 50 things, everything from, Hey, I need a radio in here to, <laughs> to items that are, we're, super operationally sound. But by doing that, we made that at a part of our monthly meetings where again, I met with everyone monthly and said, hey guys, here's our list. Here's what we've been able to get accomplished. Here's some items that, you know, just for this reason or that reason come off the table. But what I've found in doing that is that everyone really bought into what we were doing as a company. And so anything from there, execution became much easier. And through that, profitability went through the roof. I mean, we, in a short period of time, in the last, let's say in the last two years even, have improved so much that now we're even just kind of at that page where everything's just a dialing in. It's a turning of the switch. But I don't think that that's achievable without that trust and that culture. Here's to walking the talk. I mean, I think it's incredible. You have the environmental sustainability piece to your business, and you also are so focused on the culture and the people and how that really matters in extremely authentic ways. It's just, it's really great to hear. Yeah, it's like Bob, I don't know if you ever read about Bob Chapman or he's another whole purpose-driven leader and his, his theory is just, you know, if I send my people home energized at night, feeling pretty good about themselves, then, you know, then they're going to be 
there for their kids and their families and they're going to be able to be better parents, which leads to kids who don't act out as much or who uh, are part of a family where their parents have time and energy for them. And so like taking care of people and just reducing their stress and reducing their energy has this multiplier effect into all the houses where they are. And it's just so powerful. Really hearing you perk up and get kind of most excited about that part tells me a lot about what kind of leader you are. And to be able to do that consistently month after month, you know, and really just kind of drive that down to the point where you've, you know, resolved many or, or most or all those issues is, you know, kind of the grind it out part of it. But it's pretty impressive. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think it's really important to, to take away that it's a lifestyle. It's not a project. I mean, if you tackle it as a project, you lose all sense of authenticity. I mean, this has got to be something that you you live live every day. And it actually kind of brought us to our, our, our most recent brand purpose. We just kind of did this whole work with the company and it was it was so amazing how it all came together. But you know, our, our finishing brand purpose, everything we do, we do for the greater good of people, of planet, and of course our greens. And that came from the team. That was every, you know, people's input that drove us to that final brand purpose. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with, with how everyone's come together to get there. Thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, I've heard this referred to as the CEO mindset in one of our season one episodes, and as well as the book Conscious Leadership by John Mackey and 15 Commitments for Conscious Leaders as well. So there are, I think, some great playbooks for those who might be interested to learn a little bit more about strategies that work and are enduring, and as you say, are a lifestyle. So turning to your lifestyle, we would love to learn a little bit more about you in a rapid fire lightning round of questions. Oh yeah. <laughs> Favorite part of the show. <laughs> yes. All right. Exactly. Let's do it. Shoot. Diving in, what book is on your nightstand right now? So I'm one of those types that read a few books at a time, generally something for personal. And uh, right now that's Atomic Habits by James Clear. So kind of in the middle of that book, it's been amazing, amazing book for me. And then I'm, I also have a book called Spiritual Disciplines I'm working in and I read the Bible daily. Okay. So what is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine free? Oh man, definitely coffee. <laughs> and that's not just a morning routine. <laughs> I've turned into a three cup a day guy now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm doing a caffeine, a coffee cleanse at the moment, but that won't last forever. Um, <laughs> Brian, name something that's giving you hope right now. You know, I, I, I think a lot of my uh, peers may, may laugh at me for saying this, but it, for me, it's the younger generation. They're by far, you know, maybe not perfect, but you know what I've seen a, more so than any other, like our generation or even the, the millennial generation, I'm specifically, you know, in that Gen Z, my youngest daughter's world is, and that's just kind of the acceptance of, of people that the, everyone kind of coming together as one unit seems to be happening a lot more at, at that level. And, you know, it gives me goosebumps. It's, I, I sincerely hope that that continues because it's, it's where we need to be. Okay. So what is one trend that you're watching in your industry right now? You know, I, I think we're blessed to say that we are in the middle of that trend. Traditional farming is starting to become greenhouse growing with the move to local 
And uh, there was a recent study by uh, Porter Novelli in 2019, and they were talking about, you know, that, that actually that generation I just mentioned, uh, Gen Z, that 90% of them believes companies must act in social and environmental issues. And when you think about the environment and how much greenhouse growing does for it by, you know, the, you know being able to place it in, you know, the various regions and then have that local aspect of it amongst the saving of the water and the land, the inputs and, you know, saving what goes into the land, you know, all of that's playing right into emerging of greenhouse fresh. Incredible. Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events in your industry, such as a podcast or a website or a newsletter? Yeah, for the for the industry uh, specifically, we have a few kind of aggregators of all things news. I think my favorite one is probably, uh, and now, you know, they do a good job of, you know, because we're U.S. based, a lot of that they're mentioning is U.S. based companies and very into industry specific. But there are a lot of great ones out there that, you know, kind of aggregate all the good news. What is the best way for you to unwind? What, what do you do? You, you mentioned reading. Are there other strategies that you have after spending a, a long day at the greenhouse? Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. You know, I, I love to read, and but I also feel it is extremely important to disconnect and just break away from the life, the realities of life. And uh, I do that through TV. I have one daughter who's still living at home, and my wife. And so the three of us, you know, after dinner every night, we sit down and watch uh, a couple, show, uh, you know, episodes of shows together, and uh, it's just great for you know, just good family time, but it's also excellent just to break away and not think about anything else. But okay. So what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? My 20 year old self, I'd say, uh, stay true to yourself and don't let others opinions of you define you. That resonates. That concludes our rapid fire. And thank you, Brian, for allowing us to kind of dive deeper into you personally. As we wrap up, I I wanted to draw from one of our prior podcast interviews with Ian Walker of Left Coast Naturals. He pointed out to us that the cost of shipping produce or any sort of food products and the environmental cost can be not always what we think it is. For example, um, the example that he gave that always sticks in my mind is that bringing honey on a truck from Alberta, Canada to uh, Vancouver is actually more energy intensive, even though it's a shorter distance than bringing certain products from Latin America on a ship. I view the greenhouse and the hydroponic model as portable. How do you think that your company might grow and scale and help contribute to more local food markets and and networks across the world. Is is that something that you're thinking about? Yeah, most definitely. I think it's, uh, you know, imperative as we continue to build upon what we stand for as a company and that brand purpose that I had mentioned earlier, it's extremely important that we continue down that path. You know, we can't say that we're a sustainable company and ship by truck <laughs> thousands of miles away. You know, we did it when it's a need, but as we build and and we definitely are focused on bringing a regional approach to, to this greenhouse growing and our items, our packaged salads and our uh, living lettuces. 
And we, and we actually currently do that now. We have some family farms that we partner with so that, you know, on our living lettuce side, it cuts down and provides a more local availability to our customers who we've been dealing with nationally for a very long time. And they've been very appreciative over that ability. Great. And, you know, more philosophically and zooming out for your company in in what you've created, what do you think the relationship between financial performance and impact for performance has been? Have they been, you know, mutually exclusive or or have have you viewed that as as something different for your business? Yeah, socially, I think it's super important, especially when you look internally within the organization, you know, making a positive impact on somebody's life only wants them to do their job at a, at a bigger, better rate. Um, and we've seen that come through internally, just kind of taking care of your employees. Also, we, we do feel that consumers take count and they, they see the, the brands that are out there doing what's right by, you know, by the people and by the planet and, and they're voting with their dollars. And I expect to see more and more of that, as I had mentioned with that uh, Porter Novelli study earlier, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be more and more important, which means, you know, you could have a purpose and you could invest in said purpose and, and the profit will come out of it. There is definitely a cost associated with it up front. You know, a lot of times doing what's right does come at a cost, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, there's a way where profit and purpose are built and grow together. Incredible. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us today. It has been great to speak with you and to learn more about you and your company. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, your passion for your employees and your culture was really the thing that stood out to me. And also how you, you know, you define those three pillars. And that just goes to to show to a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders that, you know, it's, it's really never too late to get focused on what your company's purpose can be or should be. And, you know, that, that a refresh or a direction on that is always something that can have a lot of value. And, you know, this is a company that you said was started in the 70s. Um, and so, you know, you're excited about this, these three pillars. And, and so, you know, anybody out there can find additional layers of social impact or people impact in addition to their product impact and, you know, get that into a sort of messaging system that will help them and help help the world. So it's, it's never too late. I think that was my big takeaway from today. Great point, Ed. Well, I definitely uh, appreciate the time and the, and the opportunity. So as we say, our goodbyes go out and be a light to others. God bless you guys. Thank you, Brian. And I want to give a shout out to our Gen Z podcast producer, Mathilde, since we, uh, we talked about that generation. I, I couldn't agree more. She, she is a driving force behind this podcast. And thanks, Brian, again. Great to have you. Thanks, guys. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.